0: The reading today comes from Deuteronomy 30, verses one through six. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I commanded you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That you may live. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that. You were as much the Savior for God's ancient people in Deuteronomy as you are for us today. We thank you that all that we need is found in fullness in you. And we thank you that as we consider the ways that our own hearts are lacking, that our own character falls short of who we would want to be, Our relationships at times can feel strained and our societies may be to the breaking point. We thank you that the change that we long for has been won by you in your death and resurrection, that you'll bring it to its fullness. And in the meantime, you'll give us your spirit so that we can make progress with your help to be the community that you would have us be, to be the people that you would have us be for our city. As you do that, As you work even through your word this morning, we'll give you the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of you know that I'm relatively new as the pastor here at Grace and Peace. We moved from the Bay Area in California just four months ago or so. And we lived in California for almost eight years. And learned that while we were there in the Bay Area that it's true that Californians, particularly those around the San Francisco area, do tend to often hold a pretty high view of ourselves. But it's also true that we know how to poke fun at ourselves as well. And if you've ever seen the show, Silicon Valley, you know that this is true, right? Uh, The very first episode of Silicon Valley has these young entrepreneurs who are hoping to have their app released uh, go to this startup uh, fair where you can pitch your idea to venture capitalists and so their pitch included this we want to make the world a better place through Paxos algorithms for consensus protocols and as if that wasn't enough we want to make the world a better place through canonical data models to communicate between endpoints right? And the joke is a joke because there's truth behind it. And in Silicon Valley, there is this sense of an idea that if we just have the right technology, the right app, the right startup, then we can save the world. Then we can end poverty. Then we can bring clean drinking water to everybody. Then we can make the world a better place. And this is taking a page out of a very old script, isn't it? This narrative of progress that we have in our Western culture, that if we can just get the right information, if we can just have the right education, if we can find the right technology, the right tool for the right job at the right time, if we could just find the right leader, if we could just empower the right people, if we could just follow the right religion or get rid of the wrong religions, then then humanity could hit its stride toward fullness and toward flourishing. It's easy, of course, to poke fun. It's easy to poke holes in this balloon of progress because when you look at history, it hasn't happened yet. We just haven't been able to do it. But I would say this, as I've been reflecting on our time in Deuteronomy, by the way, we're coming to the end of our study in the book of Deuteronomy. I hope you'll take the time to continue reading there. But as we come to the end, and I've been reflecting, I've been reflecting on the beauty that's found in these hopes for progress. Because that's what it is. It's a hope that we can finally and fully be the kind of people that we know deep down we want to be and we ought to be. That our relationships can be whole. That our societies can be just, and that our personhood can be healthy. It's a biblical ideal. It's a biblical idea that something has gone wrong in our world, in our hearts. And we know that deep down. And yet, there's this longing, there's this desire, and there's a thread of hope through the entire Bible from page one to the end. That there is a horizon of hope out there. That somehow. We can close the gap between where we are. And where God has us to be. And where we long to be. And the question is how? So this morning. As we recap our sermon series. Let's look at hope. Failure. Fulfillment and ability. Hope. Failure, for you note takers out there, fulfillment and ability. You remember where Deuteronomy is set. It starts at the banks of the Jordan River, looking across the river into the land of promise that God has given his people. A land where there is just a treasure trove of hope of what could be for Israel and their relationship with God, putting down roots with him, and then for the nations around them. As they bear fruit for the world. So much hope begins in this book. And we've seen it as we've worked our way through this sermon series. And so I just want to ask, has any of that resonated with you? Is there a particular hope that you have? Whether it's for yourself or this community or for our city. Perhaps it's a hope that you would be able more and more to operate in God's economy of grace instead of earnings. Right, Deuteronomy is famous for the Ten Commandments, when God lays out the blueprint for the way that his people can live in a full and flourishing kind of way. But before he gets to the Ten Commandments, remember what comes first. It's this narrative of God's deliverance and of his salvation that wins the day for his people so that they can then respond with beautiful obedience. Deuteronomy 5 I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery now. Go and be my people and live in a way that will honor me and bless your neighbors. But first, recognize that I have won you your freedom. Perhaps for you, the hope is that you would live more and more in the freedom of who you are in Jesus. Rather in that mode of life in which you feel like you have to earn your place at the table of value. You have to prove your worth through your action and your merit. Maybe your hope is that you can experience the freedom of deliverance, that God has won your salvation, that you are worthy because of what he has done for you. Now go and enjoy the life that you have in front of you. Maybe that is your hope this morning. Maybe your hope is the second side of that passage of the Ten Commandments. You're resting in Jesus' grace, and yet you long to more and more be the kind of person that lives in line with this blueprint of flourishing that God has given us in the Ten Commandments. Remember, we studied these quickly, but we went through one by one, and we saw how each of these thou shalt nots is a window into all the thou shalts that God has for us. And not just that thou shalt, but thou mightest. That you can go and live this way. Live in the fullness of character. Embrace a morality that honors God, serves others, and in which you find your own flourishing. Maybe your hope is to be the better you that you long to be and you can see when you look at the Ten Commandments and God's commandments. Maybe your hope this morning comes from the Shema. Do you remember in chapter 6? Hear, O Israel, hear, O God's people, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and all of your soul, and all of your muchness with everything that you have. Maybe your hope this morning is that you would go deeper and spiritual intimacy with the God who has made you and redeemed you in the person of Jesus. Maybe your hope this morning is that you would less and less appreciate Jesus for what he has done and more and more love him for who he is. Maybe your hope is that you would less and less give yourself to these other loves that you continue to give yourself to instead of giving all of yourself to God who has revealed himself And Jesus, maybe that's your hope this morning. Maybe your hope has something to do with holiness. Remember in chapter 14, we talked about God's people being holy in the sense that they're set apart to belong to God publicly so that when they live for Him, when you live for Him, in front of your neighbors, in front of your co-workers, as an engineer, as a teacher, as a grandparent, as a student, wherever you are in your daily life and the vocation that God has given you, when you live for Him, you shine a spotlight on the beauty of who God is and the way that you reflect Him as you go about your work. Maybe your hope this morning is that you would grow in holiness. Maybe your hope this morning is that you would grow in justice and compassion, that you would close the gap a little bit from where you are to where you long to be in terms of being somebody who sees the needs of others around you. To have a heart that resonates and responds with true compassion. That you would be a person that acts in the lives of those around you for justice. Especially toward the wronged and the unnoticed. Maybe for you this morning The hope is that you would more and more experience joy in your life, regardless of the circumstances, as you trust that God will provide everything that you need. That you can celebrate life because what Christ has done for you. And that that joy would be contagious. Maybe your hope is that you would be known more and more as somebody who throws great parties because they... Love the party that God has thrown for them. Maybe your hope is that you would become more and more the radically generous person that reflects a creator God who has been radically generous to you in Jesus. Deuteronomy is a treasure trove of possibility. Of who we can be as God's people. As we put down roots in our relationship with him through obedience, responding to his grace, and bear fruit in the lives of those around us. Friends, is there a particular area of your life, maybe as a community or as an individual, in which you would like to see the horizon of hope come closer to reality in your own life? If there is, then the question is, how do we step into that hope? How do we move toward change in our own life? And so in our passage this morning, we'll move from the book of Deuteronomy to Deuteronomy 30 in particular and move from a reflection on hope to a reflection on failure. Right? Deuteronomy and the story of the Bible and the story of human history, and if you're honest and I'm honest, the story of our own lives and hearts is this. On our own, we cannot achieve the change that we long for. On our own, apart from God's gracious intervention, we cannot achieve the change that we long for and that we look toward. Deuteronomy begins on the banks of the Jordan, filled with promise, but here we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it ends with a vision of God's people in exile. Did you notice that in verse 1? Moses says, and when all these things come upon you, he had just finished talking to Israel about the blessings that would come from a life of obedience to God with joyful faith and service to others. He had also talked about the life that would come if they refused to love him and give themselves to him, a life that would end in exile away from God's presence, away from the land of promise, in a place where they're unable to take up this beautiful work of bearing fruit for others. And he says, now, when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I set before you, and you remember them from among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. What's he saying? He's saying, what is going to come upon you, Israel, is exile. What he's saying is the hope for change that you long for is not going to happen, that you don't won't, can't, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love him in a way that bears fruit for the nations. In other words, he's saying, on your own, you will fail. Remember, we started uh, with a thought of the Ifs of the narrative of progress. If we have the right leader, if we have the right education, if we have the right technological tools, then we can reach flourishing. And Israel had all that they needed. They had everything. They had the motivation, God's deliverance from slavery. They had the opportunity, the land of promise. They had the leader. They had Yahweh himself, the creator of heaven and earth. They had the tools. They had the blueprint for flourishing of God's gracious law. They had it all. All that was left for them was to go and to do and to be. And they couldn't. And they didn't. And they wouldn't. And friends, this isn't just a blip on the page of Scripture. This is the story of the Scriptures. From first to last. This is the story of, of the history of humanity. And isn't it, again, if we're honest, the evidence of our own lives, that there are ways that we want to change, and on our own, we just can't seem to shrink the horizon. I read recently a story in ESPN about Dennis Rodman. You guys remember Dennis Rodman? He was one of the Detroit Pistons bad boys back in the day. I was young and watching the NBA, one of my favorite players, so enthusiastic, so joyful, Uh, but Dennis Rodman is also a very, very troubled human, and uh, ESPN did a documentary on him, a 30 for 30, and they interviewed him leading up to the documentary, and it's a fascinating interview. He talks over and over and over about all he wants to do is to be a father for his kids in the way that he never had a father for him, and so the reporter Uh, talks about during the interview, Dennis Robin receiving a phone call from his ex-wife saying that his daughter wants and needs to see him, and she lives 10 miles away. But he says when he contemplates visiting and connecting with his kids, he's paralyzed. He says this, my kids now want to come and try to be close to me, and I'm trying to figure out if I can actually do this and as you read the story you realize over and over and over again he has the opportunity and for whatever reason he just can't and that may not be true of you as a parent but it's true of you in some way that there is a way of being human that you long to be and under your own steam you are unable to accomplish it and friends this is the first step of moving toward Fulfillment is to recognize that we can't do it on our own. That we are part of the problem, and we need a solution from outside of ourselves if flourishing is going to become a reality in our lives and our communities and in this beautiful world that God has given us. The Apostle Paul said it this way in reflecting upon God's good law that he gave to his people. He said if the law... Oh, he asked the question, is the law contrary to God's promises? Certainly not. But if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Implication, the law couldn't give God's people the ability to do what it was calling them to do. Friends, where does the ability come from? The great news is Deuteronomy doesn't end in despair. It actually ends in hope because chapter 30 isn't really the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. Did you notice in chapter 30, who is the actor of all the action in this passage? It's God himself. It's not Israel. No longer is God calling for Israel to step up to the plate. In chapter 30, God himself is stepping up to the plate. And over and over and over again, he says, I will. I will make you prosperous. I will bring you back. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you in. I will make you prosperous. He says in verse 9, it's not printed, the Lord your God will make you prosperous in all the work of your hand. The Lord will again take delight in prospering you when you are able to obey the voice of your Lord, when you turn to him with all your heart and with all your soul. What God is saying is you will end up in exile under your own steam, but that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is I will step in and not just be faithful to my end of the covenant. I will step in and enable you to be faithful to your end of the covenant as well. I will step in and give you the heart that you need to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you remember in chapter 6 in the Shema, we're given the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, Moses says, circumcise your heart. Cut away all in your heart that is keeping you From a full heart for God. But look how this changes. In chapter 30. No longer does Moses command the people. To circumcise their heart. Look in verse 6. The Lord your God. Will circumcise your heart. And the heart of your offspring. So that you will be able to love the Lord. Your God. He will do it. He will give you the heart that you need. He will give you. The ability to change, to be the kind of person that participates in God's work of redemption and healing and wholeness and flourishing. The way that Deuteronomy talks about it is the word life, so that you might have life, full, abundant, and flourishing. But still the question remains, how will God do it? How will God give his people the heart to keep his commands, to be his covenant keeper, to be the blessing to the nation that he longs for him, them to be. Kids, when your Sunday school teacher asks you a question and you don't know the answer, what's the safest answer you can give? Jesus, right? The answer is Jesus. Deuteronomy is pointing. To the time when God would come himself and be the true Israelite. Be the Israelite that would fully love his father with heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Israelite who would give all his muchness to Yahweh. The Israelite that would give everything away for the sake of bearing fruit for the lives of others. Right? Jesus came on the scene. Not merely As the one who would take the punishment that we deserve for not keeping covenant. Though he did that. But he also came as the one who kept covenant. He came as the one with the heart. For God and for others. He puts it this way in Matthew 5.17. He says, I have come not to abolish the law. Remember? He said, I've come to fulfill it. To keep it completely. Friends, the fulfillment of all our hopes and longings for fullness come in Jesus himself. He's the true human, the true Adam, the true Israel, the only one who could do it, and he did it. And he's going to come again, and he's going to bring all that we hope for to its fullness, to its completeness, to its flourishing, and here's the amazing thing, in the meantime, in the meantime, He is going to give us the ability to take part. He's going to give us, when we unite ourselves to Him through faith, He's going to give us His very heart the heart that has been circumcised to keep the command, the heart that loves Yahweh fully, the heart that gives itself away fully for the benefit of the others, that heart, it becomes ours because we're united to Him. Not only does He rescue us, He gives us a new energy source, a new ability. Friends, here's what I want you to leave with. Some of you needed to hear this morning, on your own strength, you can't get it done. And maybe some of us needed that humility. But some of us need to know that in Jesus, we can make progress toward the hopes that we have. We have the ability because we're not on our own anymore. He is with us. His spirit is in us. So whatever that hope is that you have, it's not something tragic that you'll never be able to move toward. Jesus will one day bring it in its fullness. But in the meantime, you can make some progress. And isn't that amazing news? You have ability because you have Jesus. One of my favorite songs is a song by the band, the Augustines, uh, I Can Change. And it's actually a bit of a tragic song. Uh, The verse goes like this. I said the words just as fast as they came. I can change, I can change, I can change. Sometimes people just fade on. I tried to fix us, but I just got stuck. I just got stuck. And then the chorus is simply this, I can change. And then they sing it again, I can change. And again, I can change, I can change, I can change. Over and over and over again, I can change, I can change, I can change. And then they shift, this isn't me. It ain't me. This isn't me. This isn't me. I can change over and over and over again as if they say it as, as if if they say it enough times it will become true. And the sense of the song is this person admitting I can't change. And can you relate to that? Sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? There's a you that you want to be when it comes to generosity. When it comes to not being angry with your kids, when it comes to having the character and the integrity and the truthfulness at work, whatever it is, and you try and you feel like, I just can't change. And I will tell you this, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are telling yourself a lie. Because you can. Because you are not alone. Because he is with you. Another favorite song of mine is by the band, The Welcome Wagon. And it's a song titled, I'm Not Fine. I actually have a t-shirt because I got to go to one of their shows. And it's a picture of a dove with an olive branch. And it says, I'm not fine. And I get so many comments on that t-shirt. The amazing thing about that song is it is the happiest song I know. It's the happiest song that I know. And the lyrics are, I'm not fine, you're not fine, and we're not fine together, babe. I'm not fine, you're not fine, and we're not fine together, babe. But it is a happy, joyful song. Because Vito and Monique, the writers of this song, know that though they are not fine, that's not the end of the story. That Jesus has rescued them from their not fineness, and he's given them a heart that can move toward fullness. And so they can happily admit, I'm not fine, because they know that's not the end of the story. That's the starting point for this day. So friends, how can we respond to this passage? How can we respond to this treasure trove of hope in Deuteronomy? Again, pick a horizon of hope that you'd like to work toward. And as you think about that change that you would like to see in your own life, before you get after it, and to be sure, you ought to get after it. But before you do, give yourself the pep talk. Remember, Moses began Deuteronomy with a pep talk for the people. Not just a pep talk about what could be, but give yourself the pep talk reminding you of what has happened. That Jesus has come, and he has fulfilled everything that God has asked from his people. Give yourself the pep talk. Remind yourself that through faith in Jesus Christ, you have a new heart. Tell yourself every morning you have a heart that can get after the things that God has for you to get after. And then say a prayer to God. Ask that by His Spirit in you, He would give you a measure of change and of success and the horizon of hope that you have for that day. For you as an individual, for us as a community, so that we can be a church for Austin so that progress wouldn't only always remain just over the horizon, but that we as God's people can live a bit of that reality right now that Jesus is bringing one day and it's full. Would you pray for that with me? God, would you bring your change in our lives, in our community, in our city, Would you give us the honesty to recognize that apart from you, there's nothing that we can do, but with you, there is so much that we can do, and we are so grateful. We'll give you the praise and the glory, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.